Well, if you'd like to uh, turn your Bibles, I, I read our text actually uh, for our, our prayer time today. Let's see if I can get this up here for us. We, uh, this is a continuation of last week. I didn't get finished with that message, but I want to talk to you about the, the, the promise that God gives us, the, the promise that God gives that, that uh, helps us to build our life, helps us to how he gives us his promise that he wants us to build our life and he expects us to build our life. And you know what? We'll give an account someday for how we did build our life. We will. Uh, Jesus makes it very plain in Matthew 25 that the day when we, God evaluates us and, um, you know, that, sh- that only scares people who aren't prepared. It's like tests. They only scare people who didn't study. <laughs> Right, and so if if you're you know you say well I, that judgment day scares me, Pastor. It, it's not supposed to. It, well, yeah, it kind of it should keep us sober, but at the same time we should look forward to it because it's evaluation day, it's test day. Lord, I know I've failed. I know I haven't always done things correctly, but you know my heart, and you know I'm surrendered to you, and I'm trying my best, and I want to always obey anything your Holy Spirit reveals to me. I want I want to keep working to make one, two, and two, four, and four, eight, and keep on growing in my life. I, and so that the day when you invite, the day when you evaluate me, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. So evaluation day is a good thing. You know, it's a, it's a good thing. And because the Lord wants us to build our life, he's going to examine how, how we built it, where we, and like I said last week, how we built it on the Lord Jesus Christ. Did we, did we practice the teachings of Jesus? I was talking to Becky yesterday that, that one of my concerns that I see happening among Christian people that I encounter is that they are practicing sin. They know they're practicing sin. They know it. But they see that there's good things happening in their life because God's good. God's merciful. God's kind. He causes the sun to shine upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Amen. And they take that as a sign that it doesn't matter that they obey God's word. I've seen, I've seen people have that mentality where, well, things are going, God's blessing me. God's so good. God is so gracious. And yet they knowingly are disobeying what God says is, is right and wrong. They're disobeying. And they don't seem to be troubled about it. Because there will come that day when you'll stand before the Lord and He will judge us. He'll evaluate us by this book. Amen? It concerns me that I, I've encountered many Christians who just seem to uh, be kind of lax when it comes to, um, you know, oh yeah, I know that's that. I shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, things are going well for me and that must be a sign that God's pleased with me. Well, just because God's good to you doesn't mean that he doesn't expect us to obey his word and that he's going to hold us accountable to that. Amen? Um, so, no matter you know, where you are at in life, God promises that he has uh, good days ahead for us if we, you know, we just follow his word. You know, it's, um, it's hard to imagine sometimes when things are going so bad in our life, when it's just one discouraging thing after, after another. But God's word, his promises never fail. I just want to uh, talk to you a little bit here, just maybe in a, uh, we talked again about halfway through that sermon last week, but I want to talk to you from another approach today too, that 
The Apostle John, he relays this accounting of Jesus in chapter 10 of his gospel, of John's gospel. And uh, this, this incident where Jesus is preaching to a crowd and he prepares to inform them about the way and the manner. And since we read the text already, prayer time, I want to, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, Jesus talks about the way of salvation. He says in John chapter 10, he, he, uh, he says, he, he's, and he said there is a way of salvation. But then he also said there is also a manner, a manner of salvation. And the, the way of salvation, Jesus said, is through me. Is through the good shepherd. That I am the good shepherd and you're the sheep. And the sheep only find pasture in life. They only, they only find good, uh, abundant life by coming through the gate. The sheep gate, which is me. I am the gate. You know, so our, we, our, the way of salvation is through Jesus. Is, is through the, we, he is, it's always the same way. It will always be through him, through his, through his deity, his death, and his resurrection. Our faith in that, our surrendered uh, obedience to the Lord as, as our Savior and Lord. It'll always be that way. But this is so cool. What we didn't expect was the manner of salvation was personal. I, that wouldn't have a big surprise to you. When all of a sudden you understood who Jesus was and God revealed himself to you and you think, oh my goodness, he's, he knows my name. <laughs> he knows my name. I can't, I can't believe it. I never realized that he knew my name. That he knew me. And that, that we would have a personal relationship with one another. That was a big surprise to me. Like, oh my goodness, I just thought it was a matter of, you know, you, you obey what the Bible says and you, you went to church and you, and you did the right things and here to come find out, yeah, it, it's, it's through Jesus, but it's the, the, the blessing or the kick in the seat of the pants was that he knows me. He's, it's, it's personal. He's personal with us. He's a personal Savior. Amen? He's personal. The man of our salvation comes through this experience, a relationship with the Good Shepherd. That reconciliation with God, forgiveness of our sins, redemption of our bodies just doesn't happen haphazardly, of course, from some heavenly quote-unquote force far, far away, like, like George Lucas would say. But um, no, whoever would have imagined that salvation would be that personal all the way with a personal Savior and a personal relationship. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is the gate that the sheep come through and the shepherd knows his sheep and they, they recognize the voice of Jesus. Hmm. Wow. You know, wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh, give me one other religion in the world that has that kind of reality. There is none. Hey, what a, what a faith, what, a, what a, a truth we have that is revealed to us from God's Word. You know, those who come through the Good Shepherd will be saved, Jesus said. They will be saved from death and set free from personal sin. It's an action relationship. We're saved from death and from the wrath of God, and we're set free from personal sin to enjoy the life of Jesus. And it says here that you know, the good shepherd, he sacrifices himself. That's what Jesus said. He sacrifices himself for each of the sheep because his entire purpose for being born in the first place was to bring us life. And not just life, but to bring us joyous, victorious life. 
Christianity is not meant to be boring or dull or down the dumps or sad. It's meant to be a joyous relationship, a joyous experience with Jesus Christ. If ever I start losing my joy and I start finding myself just down the dumps all the time, I think, okay, I need to do something different. My faith is getting off track here. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to lift my eyes up, you know, uh, to the hills. You know, I need to lift my eyes up. I need to lift them up to God. I need, to, I need because the life that Jesus promises is one that is victorious and is joyous. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, remember he shared with the remaining disciples. Judas had already left to go betray him. And Jesus, i just amazed how there in John chapter 16 and 17, how he just, man, he just laid on them all kinds of truth. Oh my goodness. You just read those long chapters of John and think, oh man, here he is in the last hours of his life and he's just laying it out to those disciples. Wham, 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 wham. He's just telling them all kinds of things. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking, man, that would have been overload. I think, how in the world can I comprehend everything that he's trying to tell us, guys, you know? Um, you know, he, he talked like, for instance, he informed them that they were going to be hated by the world just as he was hated. He told them he was going to send the spirit of truth to be a comforter and a counselor and encourager to them. He'd guide them into all truth. The disciples would grieve and mourn because of what was going to happen to Jesus going to the cross, he told them. But then suddenly, they were going to be filled with great joy because of the resurrection. They were going to see him again. They would also be scattered because they they, they de- deserted Jesus. And then lastly, he said, he, he assured them that they would have lots of hard trials in this world. But don't fear, because I've overcome the world, that you might have my peace. And again, it's a peace, not that the world gives, but a peace that is everlasting. And I think that's one thing, that's why I want to do a little series on peace here, because I think it's easy for us to lose our peace as Christians. Because if we don't understand it, especially, you know, if we, if we don't get, if we're not just don't have this uh, passion to build our lives on, on the truth of Jesus, on the truth of God's Word, it's easy to lose our shalom, if you will, our peace. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. But in John chapter 17, verse 31, Jesus, he bows in prayer. And first of all, he prays about himself. He prays for himself that he'll fulfill God's purpose for his life. And then he prays for the welfare of the 11 disciples who are there with, with him. And then he prays for you and me. That third section, he prays for you, you and me. He prays that this, that's what he prays. And this is why this is so important. He says, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. And he says, your word is truth. And that word sanctify, you know, uh, I know you've, you've heard this, but let me just remind you. It means this. It means to live differently, to, to think differently, uh, to express out of your life a unique thinking, a unique behavior, a unique flavor to your life that resembles, that looks, that tastes, that smells like His truth. That's what sanctify means, Lord. Sanctify them by your truth. Uh, Make them smell like your word, Lord. Make them taste like your word. Make them live like your word. Help them to to walk like your word, to think like your word, to think like your truth. That's what to to sanctify means. Again, the truth that is revealed in God's word. Last last Sunday, I mentioned uh, God is showing us that... that, uh, these truly like are in the last days, the days of Noah. And just as Noah had to build an ark to save his life and the life of his family, so in a real sense, 
uh, we are doing the same thing with the coming judgment uh, that is coming upon the world. We need to focus on building our ark, if, if you will, the, our lives, uh, our, our faith in Jesus Christ. And um, the, again, we, it, the New Living Translation says it most clearly. And I, we saw this last, last week in Philippians where Paul says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I'm away, it's even more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now Paul's not telling us to work for our salvation. He was saying, listen, it should be important to you that you live in such a way that you will want people to see the evidence of salvation in your life. Work hard that people will see the results of your salvation. In other words, <laughs> and I, you do it at the restaurant when you're aggravated, like, no, like, oh, get out. You know, I tell you, I was tested. I told you I was tested last week at Cracker Barrel. You remember that? I was tested again this week at Bob Evans. <laughs> oh, my goodness, it was really hard because this waitress was such a jerk. She really was. And, uh, boy, I tell you, I said, I was asking the Lord help me not to be so bold in my older years. Because as, as we get older, we get bolder. Did you know that? I don't know why we do, but it, I, I had an older person tell me that years ago. He said, you'll find out, Pastor. As you get older, you get bolder. And I'm finding that to be true. Like, you know, like, kind of like I, I have a right to say something because I've been around longer than you or something. I don't know. But uh, the Lord checks me on it. Like, you know, you control yourself. I know this is a lousy meal. The meal was lousy. The food was lousy. The service was lousy. You know, and it really, and the waiter, well, like I said, it was just, I wish I would have stayed home, <laughs> you know. But even then, that, that's, that's, where the rubber meets, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, how am I going to act? How am I going to sanctify me, Lord, by your truth that I won't respond to this waitress? I, um, I'm going to give you an example. I can't give names because, you know, it, uh, you know, it's like that dragnet thing. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> Recently, um, one of our elderly relatives was at the hospital and there was a delay in the procedure for them and they were really grouchy about it. Grouchy. They let them know they weren't happy about that, about this. They went over and sat down, waited a little while. And the person who was helping them, another, another family member went up and found out, so okay, it's all set now, it's ready. And this family member all of a sudden turned to joy and said, well, thank Jesus. Praise Jesus. Sorry you ruined it. You, you weren't sanctified. That's not sanctification. You didn't live by His truth. You live by His truth when you're really frustrated and where you're in the spirit of control, you know, the Holy Spirit's in you and you have self-control and you don't let fly. You say, okay, Lord, you're in charge of these days. Praise your name, you know. And then your testimony will be valid when you say, praise the Lord. 
because you showed his love towards somebody who's not even their fault that your your situation happened or whatever. So, yeah. I tell you that Christianity is real. It's, it's, it, I mean, work hard to show, boss. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work it out. You know, not again, you're not earning your salvation. You're working to express it. I want to express Jesus today. And we always think it's going to be some glorious event, but a lot of times it's right down there in the muck of frustration. <laughs> oh, that was a good amen, or I, I'm writing that down. <laughs> ah. So, loved ones, you see, you know. If we are building our lives on the promise of the rock of Jesus Christ's teachings, what, you know, um, what does it mean to allow God's word to dwell in you richly, like Paul says in Ephesians? Or, you know, what, what's that look like? And one thing it means is that we're finding God to be more and more enjoyable. It really is. Um, we looked at this, like we saw this last week, that God's word is vital. Hebrews 4.12. It means it's living and active or it's operational. It's, it's just not a dusty words in a, I mean, it's just not dusty pages in a book. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a living thing. It's, a, it's active, op- operational. It's, it's vital. It means it's vital. Uh, its functions are of life, um, the divine life. And our receiving such a living and operative word is essential to our growth in the, in the Lord and God's life. You might recognize the name uh, J.B. Phillips. He's a fellow, he, I think he was born in 1906 and died in 1982. Uh, you might have one of his books on your shelf. Um, he, um, he wrote the, um, you know, Phillips translation, the paraphrase of the New Testament, the J.B. Phillips. In his youth, he was an atheist, J.B. Phillips was. He was actually an atheist. The issue of human suffering was just a huge obstacle to him because um, it kept him from believing in a loving God because especially when it, the, his mother died when he was young. Yet somehow God got a hold of his life. I, you know, God got a hold of him and, and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he was saved from his sins. And not only that, but he sensed a call to the ministry. So during World War II in England there, he would meet with uh, young people from his parish. He would gather the young people from, uh, there and um, he, they would talk about the Lord. And... Um, to encourage them uh, during those bombings, because if you remember, if you remember the history of that time, they called it the Blitz. That Germany would they'd fly across the, Eng- Eng- the English Channel and just bomb the daylights out of London and, and England. And uh, I think they estimated that 20,000 people in London alone were killed during those days. And like a uh, just amazing, you know, sorrow that they faced. So you know, there was a lot of discouragement and depression and uh, uh, de- despair during those days. And so J.B. Phillips, he would uh, read scripture to these young people before they left uh, you know, the meeting. He would read scripture to them and he said it was kind of discouraging because you had these empty people, these empty young people, their despairing lives, their despairing faces, but they didn't seem to understand much of the Bible. They didn't seem to understand the King James version. And as wonderful as the King James Version was, they just couldn't grasp the truth of Christian hope from that Shakespearean language there. 
So Phillips endeavored to paraphrase the book of Colossians. That was his first, that was his beginning. Uh, He started with the book of Colossians and the young people loved it. They loved the way he paraphrased it. And little did he know that paraphrasing the entire New Testament would become his life's work. And by 1958, he had completed the New Testament. Phillips said that he, uh, he sometimes, this is really neat, he sometimes got the impression that while he was working on the text, the text was actually working on him. <laughs> what a neat way of putting it. And explaining this idea on the, on the BBC radio broadcast on one, one occasion, this is, what, this is what he said. He said this, he says, I, I got that feeling that the whole thing was alive. <laughs> even while one was translating, and he, even though one did a dozen versions of a particular passage, it was still living. Talking about God's Word. And then he said this, he said that his translation work was like trying to rewire a house with the main electricity still on. (laughs) The Word of God is vital. It's alive. And why is it vital? That we, you know, that we build our faith by working hard to show the results of our salvation. It's vital we determine to allow Christ's truth to live in its abundance. Because he said, I've come to give you life and life abundant, joyous, victorious life. And the reason why is because, first of all, God's word, and we'll run through these, that God's word is enlightenment. It is enlightening. God's word is unique. J.B. Phillips said it's like, no matter how many times I, I translated a verse, it seemed like it was always alive. And uh, like trying to rewire a house with electricity on. There was always something. It was, it was moving in me. It was alive to me. It was real to me. It was working on me. <laughs> Loved ones, we need enlightenment. I tell you, that where there is no revelation of God's word, the Bible says in Proverbs, he said that people perish. I remember going to church growth conferences back in the 80s. There were a lot of times, I don't remember how many times I heard this about uh, where this verse was quoted, about where there is no vision, people perish. Well, they were using that verse the wrong way. They'd use that verse to say that, you know, kind of like a businessman, you've got to have the vision in order to have a successful business. You know, they'd, kind of, they'd bring that concept into the church and try to, try to make church growth happen with that. But that's not the meaning of the verse at all. It has no, that's, that's just, again, that's, that's King James' uh, language there. There's nothing wrong with it. But the actual the word means this. It means that when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. And whoever obeys the law is joyful. The opening of your words give light, imparting understanding to the simple. <laughs> That's what it means. That wherever, wherever God's word is not in people's lives, when people don't have an understanding of God's word, they, they run wild. Their lives perish. They, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. Because this is the lamp to your feet. This is the guideway to your, to your life path. Amen. Um, the psalmist goes on to say too he says that the opening of your words gives light imparting understanding to the simple and then also in 1 John uh, you, you, you know this verse quite well that this is the message we heard from Jesus and how now declare to you that God is light and that means truth and there is no darkness there is no error there is no lie in him at all so we uh, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness we are not practicing the truth 
But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. That is, with God and also with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, goes on cleansing us from all sin. You know, I hate to fumble around the dark, don't you? I, in fact, it gets more aggravating the, the older I get. I, maybe it's because I'm starting to get cataracts or something. I don't know, but I just I, I find myself taking things I want to read over to, if the sun's out, I take them over to the window and let the sun shine on it so I can see better or something. Uh, you know, I hate fumbling around in the dark, and consequently, I've, I love flashlights. You know, Becky can tell you, I love clocks and flashlights. Uh, I have flashlights are wonderful. Uh, the brighter, the better. And uh, I've got, I got ones that strap on my head. I've got them in the car. i got them in the garage, you know, where I can, at a moment's notice, I can grab a flashlight and, you know, shine around. Because I hate looking uh, in the dark. I just hate it. And uh, I was just talking to my, I was talking to my, youngest boy yesterday, he was talking about how that, that uh, nobody can scare him because he used to hold the flashlight for me. <laughs> Some of you men know what that's about. Well, you're holding the flashlight for your dad and you never can hold it on the right spot. And he's always saying, Change, oh, over there, over there, no, you know. And, uh, but flashlights, uh, you know, I, I hate, uh, I'm so glad for them because they show me what I need to see. And enlightenment is absolutely crucial for us, loved ones. Darkness error, I tell you, is rampant today. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to be enlightened by it. That is, God showing you His truth and how to live it and trust Him. So the one thing that we should pray, Lord, I just don't want to read it. I don't want to know it. I want it to, be, I want it to enlighten my soul. Amen. Um, well, the other thing God's Word is too, it's, it's not only enlightening, but it's also nourishing to us. There's, there's something we, we don't think about maybe very often, but uh, nutritionists tell us that, you know, we are what we eat, right? And uh, I hate it when they say that, but I, I, I listen to it and I say, I know you're right, but, you know, shut up. <laughs> you know, that's what I think, you know, but um, he's not supposed to say shut up, BDM. Okay, I'm sorry. But uh, it's, uh, it's so easy to consume candy. I love candy. I love sweets. Uh, it's easy to consume junk food. And, uh, you know, I thought, I, did you hear Becky amen that? Did you hear? And uh, it's, I love, you know, unhealthy things. I do. Uh, and very, uh, well, and there's a lot of times we'll, we'll go for the candy first before we go for the good fruits and vegetables, right? Um, you have to admit the candy and that stuff, they cause us to feel sluggish. And if you eat too much of it and unwell, our bodies become conditioned to eating the unhealthy stuff. They do. They do. I, I know it. My, my cousin, he's been, uh, he's been eating healthier since last October. And he's lost, what, 57 pounds. And, uh, and when I go in the room now, I, I, he's there, but I can't find him. He, he's, he's, he's amazing. But uh, he told me the first week, he said the first week that he was on this new way of eating, he said, uh, first week, he said, man, it was hard. It was really hard. He said, I had cravings and headaches like crazy. He said, it was so discouraging. But he said, uh, because he was so used to eating a lot of sugar, he said. But then it got easier and easier to eat healthier foods. And he said, you know, after that first week, I started feeling better and I started feeling stronger, especially as I lost some weight. Nutrition is a habit. It is. And uh, it's, it's a habit when it's proper. It's a habit when it's improper. So anyway, God's Word is nourishing like that. That it's, uh, we, we need it. Uh, 
Jesus said that man shall not live, of course, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's quoting Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So we easily know that how important good food is to these temporary bodies of ours, especially when we're really hungry. But people are less prone to realize that they have an invisible everlasting soul that requires nourishment too. Our souls require nourishment. We know our bodies do because we start feeling shaky and faint and so we quickly, you know, put some fuel in them. But sometimes we don't realize how our souls begin to get weak and our, our, our attitudes begin to get strained because of a neglect of putting the food in the, of God's truth. And because our souls, of course, they don't require physical food, but they require spiritual food. And Jesus said, God's Word is spiritual food to us. The Word of God is strong food to our souls. And it keeps our souls from, um, against, um, strong, I should say, against this world and against the devil. So it's, it's essential. God's Word is also this. It's uh, not only nurses, but it also is quenching. You know, quenching. That word quenching means, well, you remember Gatorade? What they used to be, their advertisement was Gatorade is the thirst quencher, you know. Uh, quench, to quench something means that, you know, you're thirsty and you had your, your, your thirst quenched. Um, I, was ha- I would hazard a guess right, right, right now. Are, are you still with me? I'd hazard a guess right now that none of us are thirsty right now. Probably not. I mean, I'm not thirsty. If you were thirsty, you, you would have gotten up and probably went out and got a drink of the water fountain, drink, drinking fountain. But right now, we're not thirsty. You know, that's not a, a need that we have. We're all pretty comfortable sitting here in this pleasant place today, you know, and uh, we feel warm enough. We're fine. But you've been thirsty before. You've been really thirsty before. Maybe on a hot summer day or you were working hard and you sweat a lot and you thought, man, I need a drink. Or maybe after Thanksgiving, you had a lot of ham and about, you know, two hours later, you think, man, I am about, <laughs> I got to get some water because that salty ham, you know, really drains your system of fluid, you know. But when you're parched, that's when quenching your thirst really matters. It's when you're really thirsty. What does it mean to be spiritually thirsty? Well, spiritually thirsty, it, it means to have a, this inner ache this longing to know who you are. This ache that to know why you were born. What's the significance of your life? What's it matter anyway? What's, it, what's the future about? It's called a soul thirst. It's called a soul thirst. And, the, and only being one with your Creator and knowing Him will ever, you'll ever have that spiritual thirst quenched. Loved ones, you, you, were created in God, for, you were created for God and only He can satisfy you there. And that's why we had that scripture today in, in I, Isaiah that says that only God's Word can satisfy us. And, it, and it, it's just like it satisfies the earth, like rain satisfies the earth and gets things to grow. God's Word is the only thing that can satisfy us and cause us to grow. That's why you've got to have God's Word in your life to grow spiritually. Amen. How about this one? God's Word also strengthens us. It strengthens us. We know we need physical food because we become weak and shaky, right? But we, we, we know eating will recharge our batteries, so to speak. But it's, um, it's harder for us to appreciate spiritual strength. 
um, in John chapter uh, chapter two, there, First uh, John, excuse me. John says that uh, I have written you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. That the word of God is in you guys, and you're strong, and you've overcome the evil one, or you've overcome the devil. You know, how does God's word strengthen us? I love the story of Samson. It's one of my favorites as a kid. I remember loving watching the movie of Victor Mature, you know, in the, of Samson and Delilah. And, uh, and of course, that, Victor Mature, if you ever saw the old, I think it was Paramount, I can't remember if it was Fox or whoever, whatever company made that movie, but Victor Mature was kind of buff. He's kind of big, you know, kind of broad-shouldered and muscular, you know, and he, he looked like a Samson. Uh, Samson didn't look like that. Yeah. Samson didn't have any muscles. There's no evidence Samson had muscles. That's not what made Samson strong. What made Samson strong was the Spirit of God came on him. And he was a miracle man, man I'm here to tell you. And when God came on him, he was, he was powerhouse. Yeah. He's a powerhouse. Samson looked normal, just like you and me. You know, there was something more to him. God's Word strengthened him. And, and uh, the way God's Word strengthens us, loved ones, it, it strengthens our thinking. I mean, it doesn't, God doesn't make us muscle-bound. I mean, He might once in a while, if, it, if, if it's needed, um, you know, to do something spectacular. But, but mostly what it's talking about, when we're talking about God's Word strengthening us, it means that He's strengthening our thinking. It redirects our thinking off of our discouragement and grief or our fear our doubt and brings us comfort and consolation and hope and courage and faith. God's Word also it washes us. This is an amazing thing. I don't know how He does it, but He washes us. You know, when we, when we believe what God's Word says, it, it washes away the lies. I, this is something I've experienced so many times in my life, and it has changed me in so many ways. That we believe lies that we've been told by either maybe our parents sometimes told us a lie about ourselves, or maybe the school teacher did, or maybe our group of peers told us a lie, or maybe it was the devil, maybe the world in some way, but something has told us something that's not true about ourselves, and it's, it's hindering us. It ties us down. It, it binds us, and it limits us. It limits our potential, what God could do in us. And it's, uh, it's, it's horrible. Um, lies, they're so, these lies are so entrenched in our lives. And loved ones, I'm going to tell you, it requires supernatural power to wash them away, to get them removed. We all, again, believe things about ourselves that are false. Again, and, and it could be that it's lies that we think too highly of ourselves, where we're bragging about ourselves all the time, we're not thinking about, we're not, it's not true, or we're thinking too low of ourselves where we think we're worthless. The lie, you know, may condone ungodliness in our lives. Like I was saying before, we think it's okay to gossip. It's, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. It's okay to lust, have illicit lust or greed. But whatever the lie is, God's Word can wash it away. I don't know how He does it, but He washes away that pattern of thinking in us as we cooperate with Him. He tells us in Ephesians, Paul says that, that Jesus washes us with His Word. It gives me a whole understanding of Jesus. You know, 
if your image of Jesus is always being harsh and con- you know, condemning, well, that's a lie that you've come to believe. That that's not Jesus at all. Because Paul tells us what Jesus does here. Look what he says. He says, he, he loved the church, that's us, and gave himself up for us, for us, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. In other words, Jesus uses his word to cleanse us. Jesus wants us to not believe lies. He wants us to be the truth about who we are, who he's made us to be. And so he's, his word will tell us who we are. His word will tell us what he has done for us. His word will tell us, you know, that uh, what his cross accomplished, what his resurrection accomplished, and what his grace accomplished in, in our life. It'll tell us that he's pleased with us, that he loves us. His word will tell us that what God has made clean, don't let anyone call unclean. It, you know, his word tells us these things because he wants to wash away the lies. Husbands are required. I mean, if Paul is saying this point here is that husbands, that you, that's your role in your marriage is that you're to wash your bride, wash your, your wife with the truth. Your bride has, believes lies about herself. That just like, you know, we all do, but, but the responsibility of a husband is to encourage her and build her up edify her. Tell her the truth. When she says something untrue about herself, say, no, honey, that's not true. That's not true. Let me tell you what the truth is about yourself. Yeah. So Paul relates that to, relates that to marriage. Let me rush on with this last one. The Word of God also will build you up. Will build, build, build you up. It'll edify you. And Paul says in, in chapter 20, real quick, he says, 20, 32, he says, uh, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up <laughs> and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. <laughs> the ones, uh, you don't have to know how to use a hammer or a saw to, uh, to let God build your life up. And we've already talked about, you know, beginning on the proper foundation of Jesus, of course, as your rock. But God uses His Word to show you how to make your life count for something. He does. Make it meaningful. He'll satisfy you. He'll quench that thirst. He'll help you to find the answers for yourself about who you are, about your life, and why why He made you, why He created you. Amen. I tell my dad a lot of times, he'll say, David, I hate that you have to help me so much. And I say, Dad, that's why God made me. He put me on this earth to help you. Yeah. You know, I, I know why I'm here, Dad. I'm here to help you. You know? We, we need to know why, you know, what God's purpose is for us, you know. He's got lots of things. I mean, that's just not the, 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 the of course, the only thing. Let me close with this thought for you, and I thank you for your kind attention. One of my favorite depictions of the Christmas Carol uh, story by Charles Dickens is a musical version called Scrooge. It's uh, Scrooge is played by Albert Finney. It's we love it. We watch it just about every Christmas. We, you know, Becky and and I and they can not when the kids are with us. We we watch it. Um, I think this year Jenny watched it too. Uh, the uh, but it's a, it's a great uh, this the after his visit with the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, Scrooge finds uh, himself given the opportunity to, to change. He's given the opportunity to change from a selfish, conceited fool. And it's just a sobering moment that he realizes, all of a sudden it dawns on him that he's been shown mercy to use his life differently. 
and he recites this poem, and the kids laugh at me because I have two favorite poems, and this is the this is the second one. But but uh, the the other one I've already quoted to you many times, but I've never quoted this one to you, so I hope you like it. Because uh, but I I love this poem. He recites this poem. It's one of my favorites, and it's called Beginning Again. This is Scrooge as he's thinking about being given an opportunity to rebuild his life. I mean, he's pretty old, but he's got a chance to rebuild his life. He says this. He says, I've got a chance to change, and I will not be the man I was. He says, I'll begin again. I will build my life. I will live to know that I fulfilled my my life. I'll begin today. I'm going to throw away the past. And the future I build will be something that will last. He says, I will take the time that I have left to live and I will, I will give it all that I have left to give. I will live my days for my fellow man and I'll live in praise of that moment when I was able to begin again. I will start anew. I will make amends. And I'll make quite certain that the story ends on a note of hope, on a strong amen, and I'll thank the Lord and remember when I was able to begin again. I did. There's three practical ways, three practical ways here that we can make God's word, Christ's word, dwell in us richly. And the first one is read it. You got to read it. Read it consistently. Say, Pastor, I hate to read. Well, then, we have so many tools today. You can download an app and listen to it while you shave or while you comb your hair or while you brush your teeth. You know, there's, you can, there's so many tools we have that make, even if you don't like to read, there's, you can still hear it. You can listen to it every day. Read through the Bible when you get a chance or listen through, through the Bible. Learn how God thinks and what He has provided for you in Christ. And, but also listen, listen, to, uh, listen to good Christian music, for example, and even sing along. Colossians 3.16 says that we should do that. that uh, and then lastly, speak it. Hold to it. Talk about it with your loved ones and friends. Let me tell you, talk about it with your wife. Talk about it with your husband. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it around the supper table, around the breakfast table. Talk about it when you get an opportunity. Talk about it in the car. Talk about it in the living room. Talk about it when you watch TV and you see something that wasn't right or something that was right and you bring God's Word into it. But put God's Word around you all the time and talk about it. Amen. So we read it. We, you know, we, we sing it. We listen to it. And also we speak it. We, we hold to it. Amen. Father, today as we leave this place, I thank you for your, your spirit who has been here to guide us in, this, in our thinking. And we pray today that your word will, Lord, oh God, help us to stay on track, to encourage one another as we put your word in our life and keep building each other up. I pray your word, Lord, and these days will become even more significant to us that will allow it to minister to us, allow it to do the work that the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in our life through the word of God. Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen.